Welcome to uh, a brand new series that we're kicking off uh, over the next three weeks. This is message number one uh, that we're calling uh, Hashtag Me Too. And uh, before we jump in, I'd like to ask, would you just bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father, Lord, I know that you've been with me in a powerful way, Lord, as I've prepared and as I've studied and as I've prayed. Lord, right now I just ask that you be with me, be with us in a powerful way as well. Lord, that as we look at your word during our time together, Lord, that freedom and healing would be brought to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the strong Son of God. Amen. Amen. Kicking off this series, we're, we're calling this first message 98 Seconds. 98 Seconds. And I just want to invite you, if you have your Valley app, to go ahead and open that up. I think you'll want to take notes and, and, and follow along, be able to look up back on this in the future. Why 98 Seconds? The reason I, I chose that title for this message is because every 98 seconds in the United States of America, someone is sexually assaulted. Every 98 seconds. In other words, in the time that I prayed, two people were sexually assaulted in the United States. That quickly. 98 seconds. But the fact about the matter is there is hope and there is healing and there is freedom that can be found through Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking at a number of different scriptures uh, in, in this series because the Bible is not silent on this topic, or this subject, when it comes to sexual harassment, sexual assault, rape, all the, all the different things. We find the scripture speaks to each and every one of these issues with real incredible clarity. In fact, let's start out by looking at Hebrews chapter 13, verses 3 and 4. In the message, paraphrase of the Bible, it says, Look on victims of abuse as if what happened to them had happened to you. Look on victims of abuse as if what happened to them had happened to you. Honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between a wife and a husband. God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. It's amazing as you look at the brokenness, and we're going to look at the brokenness, and this is, this is difficult, this is dark, and, and yesterday, I don't know, four or five hours of study, just yesterday alone, a lot more before that, I, I, I was in tears for just hours. Just looking at these statistics, looking at these facts, and listening to stories, and, and, and reading, and studying. And as your pastor... I just want to say as we start this series off that if you've been sexually harassed or if you've been sexually abused or raped, I am so sorry. We hear you. We see you. And we acknowledge your pain. And we're not going to pretend like it didn't happen. And we're not going to pretend like it's no big deal. It's a very big deal. My heart breaks for you. And at the same time, it makes me angry. 
angry at the predators. We're not going to shy away from subjects like this in this church. We never have, and we're not going to start. I refuse to play church as usual when our community, our culture, and our nation is experiencing the greatest cultural upheaval, or should I say cultural reckoning, in literally decades and decades, probably since the 1960s. Let's look at the prevalence of this problem. The prevalence of this problem. Over the past few months, more than 100 prominent men in the news and news, entertainment, government, and education have been publicly accused of sexual harassment and or sexual assault. Every segment of society and culture. We've seen prominent people that have, that have just, just shattered through the news of activities and actions that have been going on. A few statistical facts in the United States. In the past 20 years, nearly 1.9 million forcible rapes have been reported in the United States in the last 20 years. 1.9 million. Those are only the ones that have been reported. Some uh, experts believe it could be double that. Could be close to 4 million forcible rapes in the United States alone. One out of every four women have experienced sexual violence. One out of every four. And there's no doubt that in a room like this with, 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 with people uh, like you, and it, there are many that fit into this statistic. One out of every four women have experienced sexual violence. What you may not be aware of is one out of every six men have experienced sexual violence as well. One out of every six. This is not just a male-to-female issue. The statistics are, 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 are weighted more women as the victims, but it's becoming more and more of an issue of men that are victims of sexual violence. One out of every six. If we were to make a memorial in Washington, D.C., to the children that have been abused, it would be 1,300 times larger than the Vietnam War Memorial which has 50,000 names on it. If we were to do a, make a memorial of just the children that have been abused, it would be 1,300 times larger than the Vietnam Memorial. We shouldn't be surprised about this epidemic, really as shocking as it is, because 2,000 years ago, the Bible told us as, as time began to wind down what, what culture and society and humanity would look like. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, the Bible tells us, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. They will be boastful. They'll be proud. They'll be abusive. This, this is a fulfillment of the Bible 2,000 years ago. They'll be disobedient to their parents, which, by the way, parents, no small thing to God at all. He, he ranks that right up there with the end times, sign of the end times, the last days. They'll be ungrateful. They'll be unholy. What's more unholy than these statistics I just read? It goes on and says, without love, unforgiving, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, they'll be treacherous. They'll be rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And so as we're starting out this series over the next few weeks, 
I want to define for us what, what abuse really is in, in the terms of sexual abuse. And here's a definition. You see it in your notes. Abuse is visual, verbal, or physical sexual activity without consent. Without consent. Visual, verbal, or physical sexual activity without consent. In, in other words, visual. And I have to put that in there nowadays. Because when someone... Uh, reveals themselves to someone else without their consent. That's sexual harassment, that's abuse. When, when someone forces someone else against their will to view pornography by, by sending them a video or taking a picture and texting it to them, that is actually sexual abuse. Visual, verbal, physical, or sexual activity without consent. Snapchat, the, the craze of what Snapchat became was much of it visual sexual abuse of pictures taken and then sent so that they would supposedly disappear. And many, many people found out they didn't disappear. This is the prevalence of this problem. And it's time for us as a church to talk about it, speak about it, to make a safe place where we can really open up and share. Because again, now that the Valley family numbers almost 1,400 people, just, just imagine the numbers one out of every four women in America, sexual violence. One out of every six in America, victims of sexual violence, men. Staggering the numbers of people that we're talking about. The pain it causes is real. And although the, the, the violation, the, the harassment, the, Maybe it only takes place over the course of a few seconds or minutes or moments, but the pain lasts a lifetime. The pain lasts an incredible amount of time. No one gets over it quickly. In fact, coming up, my wife Susie, our pastor uh, with me here at Valley Christian Church, uh, the Sisters United meeting, the next one that's coming up, she's going to actually, she's working on, there's going to be a panel of women from our church that are going to be sharing their stories their stories of what God has done, what they've walked through, and what God has done in their lives and through their lives and continues to heal them. It's pretty interesting. In Psalm chapter 39, the 39th Psalm, King David, who went through all kinds of abuse when you read the, the story of his life, there's so much there. Look at what Psalm 39 says. David writes here and he said, I kept completely silent but it did no good. And I hurt even worse. He says, I kept my mouth shut, I kept it to myself, I didn't tell anyone, and you know what? The problem didn't get better, it got even worse as I kept a secret. I felt a fire burning inside, and the more that I thought, the more that it burned, until at last I said, and he goes on and says, Please, Lord, show me my future. Will I soon be gone? And, and this that the David shares here in Psalm 39 is so insightful to, can I, could I put it this way, the, the progress of the pain. Look at what David literally says. He literally says, I was afraid to talk about what happened to me, but my silence made it worse. He internalized that pain and it turned into anger and fear. And finally at the end, please Lord, show me my future. Will I soon be gone? Please God, I'd rather just die 
I don't want to face this anymore. Would you just take me? And so oftentimes, the victims of, of this kind of sexual assault and sexual abuse literally pre- just lose all hope. Just die. God, just take me. I want to die. What's left for me? See, the power of me too is this. The power of me too is we too. God doesn't want you, if you've suffered from uh, sexual harassment or violence, God didn't create you to walk out of that by yourself. God created us that we need one another. And that's why it's so important that we talk about this. Too many times the church is just disconnected, the Christian church in America, and just pretends like nothing's actually going on in the lives of people outside of Sunday morning. I don't know about you, but I just refuse to lead a church like that that has its head buried in the sand. and doesn't speak to these issues that everyone's thinking about and everyone's wondering about. If I could just summarize this message, kind of the big statement, big thought for this message, 98 seconds would be this. Revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing. Revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. And we want to create a safe place here at Valley Christian Church where you can share, this is what's happened to me. And God can begin to bring you healing and God can begin to bring you wholeness. In fact, next week, the whole entire message is going to be really about that, about how can we really begin to take these steps of healing and wholeness. But before we get there into that kind of detail, we've kind of got to take a big picture look of what's happening all around us and in us. Let me say this. For the perpetrators of sexual violence and rape and sexual harassment, there will be a day of reckoning. The Bible makes that very, very clear. Jesus made that very, very clear. In Luke chapter 17, verses 1 and 2, Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. But woe to anyone through whom they come. He went on and he said, It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Specifically, Jesus is talking about sinning against children. Sinning against children. And he says, in eternity, it would be better for a millstone. Have you ever seen a millstone before? Huge stone, round, that the mills used to use. It'd be better that that's tied around your neck and you're thrown into the ocean than have to face God having perpetrated that type of crime, that type of sin against a young child. This is the pain. Let's look for a minute at the process. The process of healing. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 59. Again, it's amazing the clarity of the Bible. In Lamentations it says, You saw them abuse me, Lord, so make these things right. There's a cry for justice in the Bible against those who are abusers. God, you saw, that they, you saw what they did to me. You saw how they victimized me. And God, I'm reaching out to you. God, make this right. 
I'm asking for justice. And there's nothing wrong with seeking justice if you've been violated, if you've been abused. In fact, there's something very right about that, as we'll see in just a minute. You saw them abuse me, Lord, so make things right. In Psalm 118, verse 5, it says, In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me, and he set me free. Reality is this, we're here to help, we're here to encourage, we're here to do all that we can to help God heal your heart. That's what we're here for. That, that, that's, that's, that's why we're gathered here as a church family, to do all that we can to help guide you and lead you so that God could heal your heart. Ultimately, it's God that is the healer. In my distress, the psalmist said, I prayed to the Lord and the Lord answered me and the Lord set me free. Almost everyone who's gone through sexual harassment or sexual assault, and again, I, I don't say just women because again, incredible amount of men as well. In fact, I, I know someone personally who's sending, who is personally, I know someone personally who's serving a 25 year term right now in federal prison because of this, a man because of sexual assault. And he was assaulted when he was a little boy. And the victim became a perpetrator and now spending 25 years in federal prison. Almost everyone who's gone through sexual harassment or assault in whatever form it may have taken talks about the emotional and the psychological fallout of those experiences. They wrestle with guilt, they wonder if somehow they're responsible for what happened to them. Could they have deflected it? Are they just making a big deal out of nothing? And this brings about really the darkest part of what we're talking about. The shame. The guilt. It's the shame you feel for what was done to you. And when you're the victim... You feel the shame of how you were victimized. And instead of seeing shame belonging to the perpetrators, so many times a victim takes it on themselves. Let me just say this from the start. If you're the victim of sexual harassment or rape or assault, here's the truth. It's not your fault. It doesn't matter what you were wearing it doesn't matter what you said. It doesn't matter where you were. It's not your fault. It's not because of you. And as I said, next week we're gonna go into this a lot deeper, the healing process, as we talk about unbroken. I'll be recommending an incredible book that I've come across that just lays these steps out, biblical steps of how we can actually, God puts us back together those shattered pieces in our lives and in our relationships. But for today, I just want to focus on this, the power of the healer. That's where, I, if I'm going to serve you in this series, that's the best thing I can do is point to the power of the healer. Point to Jesus. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, the Bible tells us, this is the message we heard from Jesus, and we now declare to you, God is light 
And there is no darkness at all. There is no darkness in him at all. God is light. And what we're talking about is awkward and it's difficult and it makes us uncomfortable. But what we need to understand is this. It doesn't make God uncomfortable at all. Because God is light. There's no darkness in him. There's no evil in him. And that's why he and he alone, that's why you and I need a savior. See, it's interesting we talk about sympathy. There's a big difference between sympathy and empathy and compassion. Sympathy means I'm sorry that you hurt. Empathy means I'm hurting with you. But compassion means something very, very different. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that Jesus was moved with sympathy. Nowhere in the Bible does it say Jesus was moved with empathy. All throughout Scripture it says Jesus saw the multitudes and he was moved with compassion. Compassion says, I will do anything I can to stop your pain. I will do anything I have to do to stop you from hurting. And that's what compassion is. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus looked on the multitudes. And as he looked on those multitudes, he saw you and me as well. And he did everything he could. He laid his life down for you. And he laid his life down for me, for us on the cross. That's compassion. I will do whatever I have to do to stop your pain and stop your hurting. And that's what he did for you. And that's what he did for me as well. Through his sinless life, through his sacrificial death of taking all the sin of humanity upon himself, even this darkness, this evil, and paying the price so that we could receive the freedom through his life, his sacrifice, sacrificial death, and his resurrection. That's the power of the healer. And what I'm praying through this series is this, as we walk through, and I just encourage you to hang in there as difficult and awkward and uncomfortable as it may be. As we walk through these next few weeks, this is what I'm praying more than anything else, that every one of us will fall more in love with Jesus Christ, because he's the one that can make the difference. To whatever degree, maybe, maybe you've never been sexually harassed or sexually assaulted, but you probably know someone who has, that you'll just fall more in love with Jesus Christ. And because of that love and that relationship that's growing between you and him, he's going to work in your life. And if it's not for you personally, he's going to work through your life because of that great love that grows over these next few weeks. That's the power of the healer. The fifth thing and the last thing I want to mention during our time together right now, I believe that this church needs to be a place for for support. We need to be a place for support. God wired us in this way that we don't get well on our own. That's why I like to call it the Valley Family. And I know for many of us, Sometimes we hear that word family and like, well, I'm not so sure I even want to be a part of a group like that because of maybe our families growing up. Maybe so many times statistics, are, it, what we're talking about actually happens in families. 
And, and so maybe that's, a, maybe that's not a, a positive word for you, but it is for God. That's why he revealed himself as our heavenly father, not as our earthly fathers. They're, they're frail and, 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 and fail, just like I do as a, as a father, but as a perfect father, as a powerful father, as a loving father, as a forgiving father. That's what I believe this church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be a family. And it's interesting how the Bible actually instructs us God's word of how we're supposed to relate to each other. And you know how we're supposed to relate to each other in a family, in a church family? As family. Look at what the Bible says. In, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, it says, Never speak harshly to an older man. This is talking about in the church, relating to one another. But appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. I'm 50 years old. Any man in the church who's older than me, you know how I'm supposed to speak to them? Like they were my own father. That's what the scripture says. Talk to younger men as you would your own brother. Well, I, I, I'm not sure that I want to talk to any of you that are my age like I would my own brother because that would probably be disrespectful. I'll talk to you better than I talk to my own brothers. We just have that kind of relationship, you know. But, but again, talk to a younger man as you would your own brother. Look at what it goes on to say. Treat older women as you would your mom. That kind of care. That kind of concern. That kind of love. And treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. I remember one of the scraps I got in in high school. Because someone said something about my sister on the bus on the ride home. I didn't even like my sister all that much. Not at the time. But nobody talks about my sister like that. I remember as I grabbed that boy by the hair and I smashed the window of the school bus with his head. And I told him, you sit down and shut up or I'm going to take your life right now. I remember as he sat down and he cried. Nobody ever said anything about my sister again. We talked about this a little bit at the men's breakfast. You know, a joke about a part of a woman's anatomy, that's not funny. There's nothing funny about it. And all it takes is for people to begin to stand up and say, that's inappropriate. That's not right. You shouldn't speak like that. That's not a joke. You don't have to preach to them. You just have to call them out. Coaching high school football, I had plenty of opportunity to do it. When we're running through plays and girls are running around the track, and some fellow says, hey, look at blah, 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 blah. Hey, that's not funny. I've got daughters that are that age. That's not funny at all. And you know what? It stopped. You don't have to preach. You don't have to start throwing Jesus in their face. Just call them out. That's not appropriate. That's not right. 
treat younger women with purity as you would your own sisters. That's what God expects of us. Older men, treat them as you would your father. Older women, treat them as you would your mother. Younger men, treat them as you would your brother or better than your brother. Younger girls, treat them like sisters. 2,000 years ago, this is what the scripture says. And it's amazing how poorly women were treated in that culture, the biblical culture, 2,000 years ago. And 2,000 years ago, God lifted and elevated the value of women even in that culture 2,000 years ago. Next week, we're going to look at a lot of examples of how Jesus did exactly that over and over and over, lifted the value of outcast women, women on the fringe, women in the margins. And he gave us an example. And I believe Valley Christian Church is supposed to be a place of support. One other verse that I want to look at, because I think this is very important. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11 makes it very clear. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Don't miss this now. Instead, expose them. God tells his followers, don't sweep it under the carpet. Don't keep it a secret. Don't say it's no big deal. Expose evil. Speak against it. Call it out. Expose it. That's what we're going to do in this church. That we want to make this a place where it can, it's out in the open. People that have been violent, people that have been hurt, give it a safe place where you can begin to share with a pastor or maybe in a small group. No longer to keep these things a secret. Like David said, it tore me up inside when I kept it a secret. Take no part in worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. And I think that the church, a lot of, how do I put this graciously? Well, I'm a pastor, I can say it. I think a lot of pastors are afraid to talk about this issue. I think a lot of churches are afraid to address this issue. And here's the reason why. We need to understand the difference between immorality and criminality. They're two different things. Every one of us is immoral. Every single one of us, every single one of you, and they hear my voice, I, every single one of us is immoral. Every single one of us do not perfectly follow the morality that God has set it for us. Every single one of us has thoughts that are, are uh, uh, for, for greed. Every single one of us has fleeting thoughts of lust. Every single one of us has, has uh, jealousy, and th- these are all immoral thoughts. But there's a huge difference between immorality and criminality, which is a punishable crime in the face of our nation and our state. So many of us, I think too many times, we see something on the news and we think, oh my gosh, what if they aired my dirty laundry on there? But we're guilty, and that's why we all need a savior, of immoral sins. But there is a huge difference between immorality and criminality. And criminality can never, ever, ever be pushed under the carpet. Never. It must be exposed. Take no part in worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It's really amazing. Uh, 
In John chapter 10, Jesus talks about being the good shepherd. And it's interesting that word shepherd, the, the Greek word there is really where we get our word pastor from. I'm a shepherd. I, didn't, I don't smell like sheep, but, but anyway, I'm a shepherd. And he talks about the good shepherd. And one of the qualities of any good shepherd is this, that he protects the sheep from wolves. And so let me say this as clearly as I know how to. If you're a wolf, I'm going to turn you in. If you're a wolf, if you're a predator, I will turn you into the police. That is my job as a good shepherd, to protect the people in this flock that God has given to me. Trust over, to oversee. And so this is a place for sheep. This is not a church family for wolves. And if you're a wolf, you need to come clean. It'd be easier if you come clean yourself. Turn yourself into the authorities. But we are called to expose those works of darkness. And, and none of us are perfect, but not every single one of us, not even most of us, have committed crimes like we're talking about here. There's a difference between immorality and criminality. And when criminal actions take place, they must be exposed. They should not be kept in secret. The largest sexual abuse case in American history just concluded. With over 160 women testifying against Larry Nasser, gymnastics trainer. 160 women violated. He was found guilty. One of the women, actually the main woman, her, her name is Rachel Denhollander, and she's really the one, that, the catalyst for the whole thing. They just kept pushing and pushing until something was done to bring this man to justice. Just absolutely amazing. She had an opportunity, the judge gave her an opportunity to address this man who had violated her and taken advantage of her, Larry Nasser. And she spoke for over 45 minutes and looked him right in the eyes. And I want to share with you now three minutes Three of the most powerful minutes I have ever seen in my life as this victim, Rachel Denhollander, confronts Larry Nasser just before the judge actually gives the, the sentence. Let's show that right now.
There's no way I could have said that any better. Incredibly powerful. That's, that's the face of what's happening in our country. That's the reality of what's happening all around us. We can't stay silent any longer. It's time for us to be the people of God. It's time for us to point people toward the only one who can heal this problem and heal the human hearts. Every 98 seconds, someone in this nation is sexually assaulted. I've been speaking for 39 minutes. How many more? How many more? It's time for us to seek God for ourselves, for our nation, and be the family of God that he wants us to be. I'm gonna ask, would you bow your heads with me right now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you first and foremost, Lord, that you would just begin to bring healing to men and women, young people, Lord, that have suffered so much at the hands of others. Sexual harassment, sexual assault, rape, incest. God, only you can bring healing. Father, I pray right now in this moment, Lord, you're here, your presence is here. Father, may our hearts be open to be the men and women that you want us to be. Father, I pray for those victims right now that, Lord, that first step of trusting someone else with their story, that they would have the faith to do that, the right person, to begin to open up. So many, Lord, years and years, decades and decades have gone by and no one even knows. God, I pray for faith to open up for those victims to begin to share their story with someone else and to begin to search and look for healing that, Lord, you can bring them. And Father, for, for those, Lord, that we haven't been victimized but we, Lord, we know those who have. God, I pray that we would not have just sympathy. Lord, that we would not even have empathy. But Father, that our hearts would break with compassion. That we would do whatever we possibly can do to stop the hurt, to stop the pain in other people's lives and in their hearts. God, we look to you. We know, Lord, that you hear our cry. And so, Father, we ask you to do what only you can do. Heal our broken hearts. Put us back together again. And may we love as brothers. May we love as sisters. May we love as mothers and fathers. 
in the family of God. And in this church family, may this be a safe place for men and women alike to seek wholeness and to seek healing by your hand. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Honest to goodness, I didn't want to throw too much at you. Next week we're going to go really down deep into this healing process. And so I hope you'll make plans to return as we just look at really steps lined out for us in Scripture of what we can do to really allow and to help to allow God to heal us and really help others to receive the healing that God has for them as well. And so that's next week as we'll look at Unbroken as we continue the series. Right now, as is our custom, we're going to have our offering. We're going to have a few announcements about some events that are coming up in the life of our church. And then after that, Randy's going to be back and uh, we'll be dismissed for the night. Thank you.